This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 112. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hello, hello. Before we get started, I must warn you, I'm in a very silly mood, uh, despite the earnestness of the topic that we're talking about today. And um, right now, I'm I'm trying to do this little experiment to see if I can make my accent great again, uh, because I kind of have a girl crush on Jamila Jamil, and she reminded me how much I love London English. Now, I'm not saying I can actually do it, but I'm gonna try. It is perfectly possible that I completely forget about everything and just revert to my regular, normal speaking voice in the middle of this after 30 seconds. I do not really know. Let's see what happens. All right, so today we're going to discuss democracy. So why do I want to discuss democracy in a podcast that is about positive psychology? Well, people's well-being is correlated to political systems. Now, a little reminder, that does not mean that democracy causes happiness, but the two definitely go together and are conducive for each other. When we look at the top 20 of the happiest countries, 16 are classified as full democracies. Three are flawed democracies. This includes the United States, by the way. And one is authoritarian. Now, this one outlier is the United Arab Emirates, and they have made happiness a key policy priority. So that might explain how they made their way into the top 20. Now, when we look at the 20 least happiest countries, we see that 11 of them have authoritarian regimes, 12 no, sorry, two have flawed democracies and seven so-called hybrid regimes, which means that they are part authoritarian, part fake democracy, so to speak. Based on this, it is pretty clear that happiness and democracy, or lack thereof, correlate strongly. Isn't it interesting that the numbers are very clear, yet the majority of companies are led in ways that are the opposite of democracy? Think about that for a second. I think at some point I will do an episode on organisational democracy, but that day is not today. Many of us, including myself, didn't necessarily have to fight for our rights and therefore might take democracy for granted. In this episode, I hope to show why democracy is a crucial part of global mental well-being and why it's worth fighting for. For those of you who struggle to find meaning in life, standing up for democratic principles might actually be a rewarding way of becoming more fulfilled. However, I can promise you it is rife with frustration. All activism is, even though it is worth it, hopefully, in the long run. And last but not least, democracy is not a partisan issue. Healing and strengthening democracy is important no matter where you stand politically. So what is democracy? Um, For this definition, I have used um, 
Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and they say government by the people, a government in which the supreme power is vested in the people and exercised by them directly or indirectly through a system of representation usually involving periodically held free elections. The absence of hereditary or arbitrary class distinctions or privileges. To my person of colour listeners who just snorted or sneered into um, their coffees, I see you and I agree with you that hardly any country in the world can claim to have eradicated those privileges. Here are some of the criteria that make up a democracy. So number one, there is an electoral process, meaning there are elections, um, there are civil liberties, there's a functioning government, there's political participation and political culture. Important aspects of democracy include our national elections, or really all elections, um, that are held free and fair. How safe are the voters? What is the influence of foreign powers on the government? Now, before we progress, let's talk about types of democracy, because I have touched on this briefly before, where I talked about, you know, what is a full a full democracy versus a flawed democracy. So let's look at that. And those I've taken from Wikipedia. So I don't want to plagiarize. I just freely took it from there. So a full democracy are nations where civil liberties and basic political freedoms are not only respected, but also reinforced by political culture conducive to the thriving of democratic principles. These nations have a valid system of governmental checks and balances, an independent judiciary whose decisions are enforced, governments that function adequately and diverse and independent media. These nations have only limited problems in democratic functioning. Flawed democracies are nations where elections are fair and free and basic civil liberties are honoured but may have issues such as media freedom infringement. These nations have significant faults in other democratic aspects, including underdeveloped political culture, low level of participation in politics and issues in the functioning of governments. Hybrid regimes are nations where consequential irregularities exist in elections, regularly preventing them from being fair and free. These nations commonly have governments that apply pressure on political opponents, non-independent judiciaries, widespread corruption, harassment, no, sorry, this is a British accent, so harassment, and pressure placed on the media, anemic rule of law, and more pronounced faults than flawed democracies in the realms of underdeveloped political culture, low levels of participation in politics, and issues in the functioning of governance. Authoritarian regimes are nations where political pluralism has vanished or is extremely limited. These nations are often absolute monarchies or dictatorships, may have some conventional institutions of democracy, but with meagre significance, infringements and abuses of civil liberties are commonplace elections. If they take place, they are not fair and free. The media is often state-owned or controlled by groups associated with the ruling regime, the judiciary is not independent, and there is omnipresent censorship and suppression of governmental criticism. Why is democracy important? As mentioned at the beginning, happiness and democracy correlate very heavily with each other. Um, if you are not a fan of democracy, let's 
consider some of the alternatives and think through them just for a moment. Many of us have not lived through times when their country was not democratic, but but democracy is fairly young compared to other ways of rule. If democracy crumbles and disintegrates, society needs to organise itself differently. Let's chat briefly about some alternatives to democracy. A monarchy is great if you are a king or queen, or a princess or a prince. And... If the ruling or if the ruling royals like you, a monarchy is okay if the ruler is fair and if the ruler enables an economic environment for you to survive and perhaps even thrive. A monarchy sucks if you have an unethical ruler, if you're poor, or if you're affiliated with someone the ruler does not like. A dictatorship is very similar. It is great if you are the dictator. Or you agree with the dictator. It is okay if the dictator is okay with you. If the dictator enables an economic environment for you to survive and perhaps thrive, things are fine. A dictatorship sucks if the dictator dislikes your group or if you disagree with their ideas. Another alternative would be military rule. It's great if you or your close families are respected within the military. It's okay, perhaps, if you're apolitical. It really sucks if you're opposed to the military rule. Now let's go for something completely different, such as communism, which is also a valid alternative to democracy. It's great if the economy can sustain everyone and if you agree with the ideas behind communism. It's okay if there's enough resources and you don't really care about politics at all. Communism is really bad if mismanagement leads to shortages. You disagree with the ruling party or you are extremely driven and ambitious. In all of these cases, communism is not the system for you. Church rule is another alternative to to democracy, and it is great if you believe that actual godly rule has been established. It's okay if you don't disagree much, are affiliated with people or things that are deemed worthy of the church. It is very bad indeed if you're an atheist or you have doubts about religion. And last but least, anarchy. It's great if you're an anarchist yourself and have found a way to take care of your needs. It's okay if you're self-sustaining and have found a quiet spot to live in peace. It's really bad and it sucks for anyone who subscribes to collective big goals, such as the usefulness of infrastructure, including functioning roads, power plants... Um, If you want to achieve big goals, such as reducing poverty, fighting disease, or exploring space, anarchy is decidedly not for you. Now, to summarise, while the reason I included all these alternatives is that sometimes people grow a bit disenchanted with democracy, and in those moments, you have to understand that you can't just say what you don't like. Okay, you have to go for an alternative. These are some of the alternatives. And what they all kind of had in common is that if you disagree, you will be punished for that disagreement. That is 
can be the case in a democracy, especially in a flawed democracy, but it is not the norm. Violence is sometimes or often used to justify the means in these other systems. Uh, Nonviolent punishment can also include things like exclusion from community or economic resources. If you like whoever is on top, you're usually fine. But if you change your mind, you might get entered into trouble with all of these systems. Whoever dislikes democracy has to make a choice about how to organise society differently. And many, if not all, alternatives mean that you might be well off if you like the leader or the ruling party, but incredibly badly if you don't. Unless you want almost everybody to be miserable, you'd have to keep in mind that alternatives to full democracy rate very poorly in terms of happiness, but also with other factors such as health, wealth and all the like. So what are some benefits of democracy? From a societal point of view, the most important benefit of democracy is peace. Mature democracies have never gone to war with each other. This means that countries where democracies have been established and practiced for a long time haven't gone to war. There is therefore an absence of horrific suffering. Wealth is another good outcome from democracies. Out of the top 20 most wealthiest countries, eight of them are full democracies. Ten are flawed democracies. There are only two authoritarian countries with Russia and China, and China is the second wealthiest country in the world, therefore a significant outlier. It's the only authoritarian regime that is actually successful. Russia is number 18. Wealth leads to all kinds of improvements, such as better health, better education, and less poverty, although I of course acknowledge that wealth in itself uh, can sometimes also create certain problems and wealth inequality that it should not be taken lightly but is still a different beast than when people just die very young. Democracy has also individual benefits. Most importantly, civil liberties. Religious freedom, for example. If you live in an authoritarian regime or a hybrid regime, you don't have religious freedom. You can't choose to worship or not to worship. You usually don't have freedom of speech and you don't have sexual freedom, which means you can't really choose who you want to partner up with or not. Also, an individual can partake in shaping society by voting for representation and vote on issues which concern them. So if we look at that, the overall benefits of a democracy are really quite huge. So what does a democracy need to thrive? Well, first of all, we need fair elections. We need clear rules in the form of documents such as constitutions and amendments. We require a division of power. Those are the things that make democracy great. But what threatens democracy? Well, first of all, let's talk about finances campaign financing, for example, the cost of entering a race can be so high that lots of people can never stand for election, even though it's a basic democratic right to do so. There is the matter of undisclosed contributions, which means that a politician might have severe conflicts of interest depending on who gave them all the money. Then there's good old-fashioned corruption. 
and, of course, changing laws to protect the interest of the few. Those are huge problems that threaten democracies, and those are, that's why they're on top. Related to that is lobbying. One thing that is interesting is that each political side turns a blind eye on certain lobbyists, but not others. Google, for example, lobbies a lot, but it's hardly mentioned in mainstream media that I consume, at least. Um, but if Pharma or the Koch brothers do it, there's a lot of outrage. Now, if you care about democracy, it is important to create rules and regulations that ensure that laws can be drafted by relying on experts, which lobbyists usually are, but without just blindly following whatever special interests they lobby for. Another thing that threatens democracy is voter suppression, actively attempting to set up uh, barriers for people. Examples include voter registration. So as a Swiss national, I don't really understand how this can be such a big issue. If the IRS can find you, so should your ballot. Tuesday is an election day, which sounds innocuous, but actually it prevents people who do not have the luxury to take a day off from work, from voting, and that is a big problem. There is also a form of voter suppression that happens by setting up laws to exclude certain people from voting, uh, physically threatening or prohibiting voters to enter is another form of voter suppression. Now there is also, of course, voter fraud. Now, duplicating votes or stealing votes from, say, dead people, all of these things are incredibly damaging to democracy. Then there's good old election fraud, which means we just change the votes that were given. So let's say somebody presses a button, but then the, the, their, their vote automatically goes to some other candidate. So that is election fraud or hacking into electronic voting systems. Then there's gerrymandering. Sorry, Jerry. Is it gerrymandering? Brits, please let me know. Um, setting up arbitrary regions to ensure that the weight of the vote of your competitor is minimised. And I have to say, I really respect uh, former Governor Schwarzenegger's um, activism. He is a very prominent anti-gerrymandering activist, and I salute him for that. Then there's filibustering talking nonsense for so long that crucial votes and decisions cannot be done. And, of course, lack of political culture. So that means people are, do not participate, so there's no pa participation, there's a lack of political education, lack of meaningful criteria to evaluate performance. So, for example, pay more attention to posturing than to actual voting behaviour by politicians, um, favouring slogans over solutions and scandals over policy. There's also a lack of consequences. There should be more serious consequences if people break promises by actively voting against the interests they claimed to represent. Then there are bizarre consequences. So if a pun, if it just imagine for a second that a candidate would punch a puppy in the face and that would be captured in YouTube, um, they would be politically finished. But if they start a war and kill thousands of people, including American soldiers, it is okay. And that is a bizarre consequence, although I by no means uh, support punching puppies people or other animals or not even your plants. 
please. Many of these political culture issues can be traced back to media. So one thing that we can all do is to encourage media to report differently and to make a difference by focusing on the things that are truly important. How do we strengthen democracies? Well, for those of you who are searching for ways to reconnect with family who might have different political opinions, maybe this section can help you find some common ground. Democracy, first of all, is not partisan issue. You need to, we all need to protect it, even if it temporarily puts us at a disadvantage. This includes, for example, that you either respect the rules of the game or you change them before the election. That is something that, you know, to be perfectly frank, in case you're wondering where I am politically, I would say I'm center left. Okay. So I, I do, I, you know, I do understand when people say, oh, but Hillary Clinton had three million more votes. However, just imagine for a second that things would have turned out differently. Just imagine for a second that Hillary Clinton would have won and then the Trump voters would have said, oh, but he had three million more popular votes. Everybody would have said, well, well, but that's not how the game is played. But the, we have all agreed um, to the election process. It's been used again and again and again. So, you know, go cry somewhere else. And I do feel that's precisely what we need to do. We cannot... We, when, if we're not happy with the rules of democracy, we have to change them before elections, not after elections. Even if for, you know, four years or eight years, that puts the party that we support at risk. Um, we can remove the bad. So all the things that we talked about before that are bad for democracy, uh, we can tell our senators and governors and mayors, all other politicians, to stop gerrymandering, stop filibustering. This is something that's important for all of us. And the reason is that no matter if you're a Republican or an independent or a Democrat, you, we are all dependent on a functioning democracy. Otherwise, if, you know, if, if, we just, if cheating just becomes the norm, then the other party will get you in four years or in eight years. And what's the purpose of that? I think we should also really look into fact-based voting. Do candidates vote in line with what they said they would? And that is something that can actually be quite easily checked. What causes do candidates fund or defund while they're in office? Here in Switzerland, I use a service called SmartVote. Earlier this year, we had to vote for our representatives. I simply answered a questionnaire with about 40 policy priority questions and then got a list with the candidates who agreed on most points. That's something that I like because it's very fact-based voting. It ensures that I don't just vote for the same political party that, you know, my parents or my grandparents voted for, um, even if they actually suck and have no ideas right now in the current political climate. So I really like this idea of fact-based voting. Then there's another thing that we can all lobby for where we live, and that's ranked choice voting. So what is it? So again, I'll use the USA as an example, because there's a sizable number of people who live in the US who listen to this podcast. So 
in the US, there are quite a few people who blame the Green Party or the independent candidates for losing elections. So the argument is that if the Green Party voters would have voted for Democrat Al Gore uh, in 2000, he would have beaten Bush Jr. And perhaps Hillary Clinton could have done the same with Donald Trump. In ranked choice voting, instead of just voting for one person, you create a list with your favourite candidate on top and then your second favourite and on it goes. Therefore, once all the alternative candidates are out of the race, the ranked choice would hand their vote to the Democrat or Republican or whoever your choice is. And the benefits of ranked choice voting are that we would all need to educate ourselves beyond just one candidate. So it would force people out of their political bubbles. You know, if you if you just say like, oh, I just like Bernie, or I just like Trump, well, you don't really have to think a lot. But if it says, here are the 20 Democratic candidates that are currently running, now, who's your favourite? Is it Bernie, but then who's your second favourite? And then you actually have to look at it and learn about who's, uh, who's there. And I think that's actually good for political culture. Another benefit of ranked choice voting would be that overly divisive rhetoric would only pay off for the if you happen to win, but not otherwise. And that means that it would actually create a huge incentives for politicians to discourse in a way that is fair. And if you have a problem with that, I want you to think about sports. You know, it's it's most sports have certain rules. Most sports have referees. And that doesn't necessarily make the sport bad. It actually makes the sport good. So that's what, what ranked choice voting would do. Also, other parties could get a shot at governing, which might lead to an alternative to the ruling party or opposition dynamic. And that leads us nicely into another idea that would be that would strengthen democracy, which is a multi-party system. Now, as someone who didn't grow up with the opposition ruling party system, I am actually amazed that anything gets done at all. Now, if you're angry at me, just hear me out for a second. Imagine in real life, you would lead your life in a certain way for four years, and then you would spend the next four years undoing everything that you just did. How does anything get done ever? I'm amazed and weirdly impressed. But I can tell you, um, speaking from a country where democracy actually works pretty well, uh, we have a multi-party system. So people overall are more represented and therefore more likely to be happy with the way how things are going. And that encourages a plurality of ideas And that means that if you say you are socially progressive, but fiscally conservative, you don't have to choose between left or right. You can just vote for a party or representatives which share those values. On the downside, and I think I have to be transparent about that too, it can take more time to make decisions because you need to do way more compromising than you just have to do when you just have two parties. Another thing that would be really good for democracy would be to establish and foster a healthy political culture. And that means encouraging people to vote, encourage proper bipartisan political education, uh, take the time to get to know the candidates, not just your favourite 
one candidate. You can also demand that the media report on what matters instead of political gossip. Uh, communicate your needs by talking to your senators, governors, mayors. And this is done really easily, by the way. So, for example, for those of you who have an Alexa device, you can just use um, the Alexa skill called Speak Up America, I believe. And that would really help and make things really easy for you to get in touch with your political representatives. You can stand up for fair practices regardless of who your party is or whether it has hurt your party or not. You know, sometimes a a short-term victory can feel very sweet, but actually it damages the political climate for years and years to come. So I think that's something we also have to think about. Also, if you want to persuade people to change, stick to those who are undecided and or in your own political camp. People usually do not change when they're yelled at by the opposite political party. And if you don't believe me, I ask you to come up with the instances when you have had somebody yell at you and tell you how stupid you are, and then you changed your mind. And last but not least, you can support organizations which strengthen democracy, such as Democracy International or Transparency.org. Those are just two. You can Google the rest if you want to. I know this was a bit more civic, (laughs) a bit less psychology, but I think I wanted to do an episode on democracy simply because it's something that's the fabric. It's like the air that we breathe. And if we just let democracy crumble all around us, that will have huge consequences on our happiness. You know, it does already now, if you look at how politics is discussed in a lot of countries. But think about how much worse that could possibly get if we don't get a grip on this. Now, here are a few Podbean reviews. Uh, One of them is from Gerald. It simply says, very interesting and motivating. Thank you, Gerald. Here's one from Moritz Lung, and he says, great content, Kristen, very wise and reflected. Thanks a lot for this great share. It cheered me up and also gave me the feeling to be understood. Finally, maybe you could give some more specific tips how to improve in the topic of giving the right incentive. Thanks, you're simply amazing, doing great work here. Please continue forever. Hey, Moritz, um, thanks a lot. I'm particularly happy to hear that a guy feels seen and understood. I don't know how often I've mentioned this, but most psychology podcasts have an overwhelming share of women listening to them and the guys being kind of a bit turned off, especially if it's a female host. So I'm super proud um, that the guys feel understood and seen too. And with uh, considering uh, the incentives you simply have to ask yourself what is the easiest and the most and or the most common way to react and is that the reaction that you want so for example if you put a cookie in front of people the easiest way to deal with a cookie is to eat it Um, If you tell people to use the stairs, but they pass five elevators before they reach the stairs, they probably take the elevator. Um, If you tell your significant other to put down the toilet seat, they will do it if the toilet seat is really heavy and you have to put it down to flush the toilet because it's too much work to put it back up. 
And that's how you have to think about incentives. You always have to think about what's the easiest or the most common thing. Is that what I want? And if that's not it, you have to redesign the environment. And then Blair said, oh, so adorable, that laugh. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Thanks very much. And then Tova Ladima just started your podcast and plan on using it a lot. I'll surely probably be asking you for advice. I don't think I got that yet, Tova Lady Mum, but I'm open to it. So just tweet at me if you have any questions. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. I believe I actually pulled the whole thing off in British English. Hurrah! Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with happy yogurt. <laughs>